people say, Lashana Tova. Welcome to Yum's the Word. I am Robin Gelfenbein. And today we are going to party like it's 5776. What? Because today's episode is a very Jewy episode. And I can say that because I'm Jewish. You may have figured it out by my last name. Uh, but my Religious upbringing is a little bit unusual. It's kind of a long story. So we are going to speed it up for you. So. My last name is Delfenbein. My grandfather, Delfenbein, came from Russia to the United States and married my grandmother, Delfenbein, Philomena. So she was a Roman Catholic Italian. He converted from Judaism to Catholicism, which was big back in the day. Big. And he raised my father and my uncle. Now, my dad, Roger, married my mom, Margie, and she is Jewish. Her parents, Jewish. So that's why I am Jewish, because you always go based on what the mom's religion is. But my dad is Catholic. And my uncle, my dad's brother, my uncle, is a Roman Catholic priest. And his name is Father Gelfenbein. Hi! So I was raised with a Christmas tree and a menorah. Father Gelfenbein would also make us Easter dinners that had matzo meal in them. Very accommodating. Very accommodating. And the other little wrinkle in this is that we were sent to church camp. I wrote a song about it. Look for it on my website. So I'm very excited for today's episode. We're going to hear stories from Jewish storytellers. They're both incredibly talented and very funny. And because we would never have an episode without Auntie, we have a very funny Auntie bit in the middle of today's show. Hey, yum's the word. Haven't you heard? The yum's the word. It was started by a bird. My name is Robin. And hair has lots of curls. Actually, I blow it out a lot. Two stories, some awkward. Like wetting the bed next to your boyfriend. Pretty funny and absurd. Like your boss tickling your side boob. So welcome all you nerds. And cool people too. This is for everyone. Except kids. Yum's the word. All right, first up is a lovely Jewish storyteller. How are you? Her name is Sandy Marks. Now, Sandy's story is about the time that she got caught red-handed with underwear in her hand, or as Auntie calls them, underpants. Okay, so I'm 23 years old, and it's a hot July day, and I'm on my way to work, and I'm feeling pretty fucking good about myself. I catch a glimpse of myself in one of those big kind of reflective office windows on 3rd Avenue in the Midtown Manhattan area, and I, all I see is my feathered hair, like high, and I look like I could be in a white snake video, like lying on top of a hood of a car, like, and I'm wearing a tube top, which were really in style, that like laid at the right spot, so no matter what you did, it just sort of sat there, and I had on a short skirt, and Shoes that we called corkies, which were these wedge sandals that sort of came back into fashion a couple years ago. So when I saw myself, I thought, hot, super hot. <laughs> I'm kind of walking. But 
this is pure bullshit because not only am I not that hot, I am a complete loser because I had just walked out of the subway, the G train to be specific, because I still lived at home with my parents and I had in the bottom of my pocketbook this sweaty, oily tuna sandwich that my mother prepared for my lunch at work. And I was going to a dead-end job. I worked at Herman's World of Sporting Goods, which I don't know if you had ever been there. It was a very popular sporting goods store. And I worked in the fashion department, which is a term I use very loosely because (laughs) there is nothing fashionable about a tennis dress that says, I have balls. And these ridiculous warm-up suits that came in like sherbet colors that were very popular amongst German tourists at the time. And my mother, who insisted on wearing one of these warm-up suits whenever she'd go on a flight, she would show up at the airport in this out, like as if she were going to do like a 50-yard dash through the Delta Terminal or one-arm push-ups. She said, oh, they're really comfortable. I have to wear my... Ridiculous. So anyway, but this is where I worked. And my boss, Barbara, was not exactly a peach. This woman looked like Ursula from The Little Mermaid. And she had one of those kind of flat cabbage patch faces. And she painted in her eyebrows. So she, and they were really highly arched. So she always looked either shocked or not, not necessarily confused, but definitely she was thinking you're fucking with me, right? And she always had that look on her face. And she was so mean. She wouldn't ever give me instructions on how to do my job better. She would only speak rhetorically like, why are you so stupid? And why can't you do anything right? While I stood there, you know, even though I knew I always looked good underneath, I had on like a Costco smock. I'd be standing there and I got maybe $7 an hour for this bullshit. It was a summer job. I was a student, but it was just a horrible life to work this stupid job all summer. So on this one particular day though, I was in a good mood because I had just gone out with this guy, Steven, who I really liked. And we were going on our third date that night, which meant that this was going to be business night and I was really I was so excited about Stephen because he was a a recent law grad school graduate and he was really nice and he was just a great guy and I thought oh my god this could be it so even though I hated this ridiculous job where by the way my only responsibilities were putting those like ridiculous alarm tags on clothing items which were usually like ivy green golf pants like somebody was really going to fucking steal these (laughs) golf pants so and I would sit there and obviously I wasn't even doing it very well but that was my job but on this one particular day instead of having my break or my lunch in the break room which wasn't a break room it was a closet where all the like stock guys would sit and scratch off their lottery tickets while they were smoking because everybody was smoking everywhere back then But this day, I was going to go and buy new underpants and a new bra for my day three with Steven because he was, this was it. We were going to go on downtown. So, okay. So it's the summer. It's hot. It's 3rd Avenue, 51st Street. Right across the street from Herman's is the Rainbow Shops. I mean, heaven, right? Okay. Now, if you don't know Rainbow, it's like, I guess it's sort of like an H&M mixed with Marshalls, it's cheap, everything you need, casual separates, whatever you want, they have it. Pajamas, bras, panties. So I figure, okay, so I take off my smock, I go across Third Avenue, and I open up the door to Rainbow, and it's 
beautiful air conditioning wafting and the Bee Gees are on the stereo. You can hear them singing, staying alive. It's like I walked into Oz. I am so happy to be across the street. So I find the rack, 34B bras, underpants to match right underneath. And I'm start, I'm going through everything. I'm so excited. I'm looking for what I need and I'm pulling shit off. And then all of a sudden I hear the door open and I can feel like humidity and trouble. Trouble. This guy walks in, beady eyes, dirty hair. He is not there for skorts or culottes or a camisole. And I'm right. Within maybe three minutes, he goes right up to the cashier who's at the front of the store. He whips out a gun. He points it at her and he says, give me all your money. And there may be five customers in the store. We just freeze. And then he whips around and he says, put your hands up. And I'm looking at this gun, and I mean, I don't know for sure. I've only watched like Mannix and Hawaii Five-O, but it looks like a gun. So everyone just right away, we lift our arms. Now in my right hand, I'm holding two Fiberfill 34B push-up bras. In my left hand, days of the week underpants that complimented the bras in kind of a fetching, but I'm not a whore kind of way. <laughs> and all I can think about is, the irony, my mother used to always say, always leave the house in nice, clean underpants because if you get hit by a car and you get taken off to the emergency room, there could be a single Jewish intern working on you. <laughs> like, really, like a doctor's going to be interested in some mangled young person. And you need to have the fresh underpants. But no, I'm holding the good underpants. I'm wearing like gray carters for her, like up to here. And they're old and they're not great. And they got like one of those errant little elastics flashing around. And, okay, and then the second thought, so I'm wearing the bed underpants, holding the, and the second thought is, fuck, my mother will not find the right attractive photograph to give the Daily News or the Post because this will definitely make, you know, the the paper, and they're going to find some ridiculous high school graduation picture of me, and this is how I'm going out. I'm going out in dirty underpants with a bad picture. This is all I'm thinking about. Okay, so I'm, we're shaking. I'm trembling. While, and meanwhile, the cashier, her like white ashen, she's looking, and we're standing there, and within maybe three minutes, three police officers bolt through the door with their guns drawn, and they say, get down on the ground now. This is happening really fast. So I do. I get down on the ground. Now I'm down on the ground, my face is pressing against like dirty, green, smelly carpeting, and I notice feet. I'm the only one on the ground. Because he wasn't really referring to me. He was referring to the perp in the front of the store. But I don't care. I'm lying on the ground, like fetal position, cuddling my fiber fills in my underpants. And I see him from the side of my face. I see them cuffing the guy, and they lead him out. And I'm just laying there in a puddle, and I am scared. I don't want to move, even though I know I can get up. And then all I start doing is singing, staying alive, staying alive, whoop, 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 staying alive. And I'm like a mantra. I don't want to leave the rainbow shops. Okay, so they leave the store. I can hear them leave. I still, I'm like trapped in the underpants and song. And finally, I figure, okay, I'm going to get, all right, so I stand up. 
Meanwhile, everybody else has left the store. I take the bras, I take the panties, I put them back on the rack. I am not shopping anymore. But I'm so freaked out, I don't want to leave because I'm thinking of that old expression, out of a frying pan and into a boiling pot of water. Okay, it was pretty bad. I could have been killed in my dirty underwear, but if I go back across the street, I have to face Barbara. It's not pretty over there. And then I'm thinking, what am I going to do now? So first I go to the register to make a little idle chatter to waste time. And I asked her, how did the cops get there so fast? And she said, well, I pushed the panic button. It's right under my desk. I thought, that's very clever. It's a good idea. Everyone should have a panic button. I thought, all right. Okay, so then I figure, all right, I got to go back. And then while I'm crossing 3rd Avenue, it comes to me. I know what I'm going to do. I stomp back in that store, empty-handed, no new bras, no new panties, and I get right up in a barber's grill, and I say, Barbara, it's been nice, but I quit. I can't be here anymore. I'm turning in my, turning in my smock, and she looks shocked. I think it's the eyebrows. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Standing there with that face on. I said, I just can't work here anymore. Life's too fucking short. And so before she can even respond, I turn on my heels and I leave. And I feel really good because I'm thinking, all right, I'm young. I got my whole life ahead of me. And my last days should not be either in the rainbow or the Hermans. But if they're going to be in a rainbow, at least I know that they have a panic button. So I'm going to go get myself another job. Might be seven bucks an hour. But I will make sure that they either have a security guard in the front or a button underneath the counter because... Things can happen, and I'm always going to make sure that I'm wearing better underpants when I leave my house and let my mother know what pictures to keep ready in case of trouble. And I'm still here all these years later, and none of that has been necessary. So, thank you. That was Sandy Marks. You can find Sandy on Twitter at Sandy Marks. That's Sandy with an I. Now, she was talking about her boss, Ursula, And it reminded me of the fact that whenever I go into a store, people always come up to me and they say, excuse me, do you need some help? You look confused. (laughs) I always am like, that's just my look. Because apparently I have just resting confused face. Now, I was recently interviewed for... B'nai Brith magazine for a piece about funny Jews. And I was completely honored for this. It's a national Jewish magazine that's all the rage. So I sent the link off to Auntie and she left me the sweetest and the most darling voicemail. Hi, Robin. I'm I'm now reading this thing you sent me on the um, email. I guess it was a B'nai Brith thing. Oh my God, you're so smart. I'm telling you, you got the essence, not only of comedy, but of being Jewish. I love it. You make me so proud. I'm telling you. So, for Rosh Hashanah, in two weeks, get the chopped liver at Zabar's. Anyway, give me a call. You know what else? I can't print this off the iPad, and my computer isn't hooked up yet from doing the rugs, the carpet. So, please get me a hard copy of this. I gotta send it to Florida. Okay, honey? Oh, I'm telling you, you just make me proud. Not only that you're my niece, but you like being Jewish. That really warms me. I wish my father were here to see this. I love you. Bye. Don't forget, get me a hard copy. Call me during the week, I'll be home. Bye. Oh, Auntie, you'll get your hard copy and your chopped liver. 
Now, Auntie loves our next storyteller. He is a total mensch. She saw him perform uh, a couple of times and just fell in love with him. His name is Josh Blau. And if Auntie loves him, isn't that enough? I'm going to be celebrating my 25th wedding anniversary with my lovely wife, Laura. In, in June, I know, I was like very young when I was married. <laughs> anyway, so um, I really, when I first saw her, you, you would understand that I fell in love with her, and, and it's been a beautiful 25 years. We have five children. Five? Yeah. And, um, Triplets, the last shot were triplets. And so we, we have a very beautiful, rich, expensive life. And when we first met, I'm gonna go back. I, I, I just saw her and I knew she was the one. And she said, but you, you have to meet my parents. And Laura's maiden name is Doctor. And she said, well, my parents are doctors. And I said, well, of course they're doctors. Your last name is Doctor, so their last name would be Doctor. She said, no, they're doctors. So I'm like, really? Your parents are doctor and doctor doctor? <laughs> wow. And I was trying to become a comedian then, but friend, that didn't totally work out as a CPA. Um, but I thought that was just so great to be in love with doctor and doctor doctor's daughter, Laura Doctor. So, she says, you gotta go meet my parents. And I, I knew they were gonna love me because mothers always love me. I mean, Marsha Kramer's mother loved me, Nanette Halpern's mother loved me, Fanny Feldenkrais's mother loved me. So of course, Dr. Doctor would love me. And I go to the house in Connecticut to meet Dr. and Dr. Doctor. First of all, to get to this house, the, that driveway was very long and there were lots of Mercedes. <laughs> and our mothers were very different. Doctor, doctor, um, wore like Armani. And I wasn't used to that. My mother, what did she wear? Not much. <laughs> my, mother always, my mother wore cut-off t-shirts. And she still does. She's 87. It's appalling. But doctor, doctor was in Armani. And I said, oh, you know, hello. And I said, what should I call you? And she says, wait. Call me Dr. Doctor. I'm like, really? I thought that was so great. I said, socially awkward moment, you can call me Josh Josh. Right? I know. So it's not going well. It's going much better here. And um, I said, you know, I'm really very in love with your daughter, daughter. Because when she didn't respond, I thought I'd just keep going. Very intense woman. She didn't like me. She didn't like me. She, it's 25 years later, but we're not gonna go. She, she's still, anyway. So then I met Laura's father, and he said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm you know, trying to become an actor and a comedian, but I do have my accounting degree. And he takes me outside around the pool, pool, and, um, it wasn't above ground either, it was built in. And, uh, and he starts testing me on my times tables. I just met this man. And the thing is, I swear I know what eight times eight is, but I couldn't think of it at the moment. I was very nervous. 
And he's like, well, what kind of an accountant are you? And I said, well, that's why I'm trying to become an actor. And so, but it's just not going well at all. And you could see her parents get together at some point and like, what the fuck is And anyway, so, but of course, we get engaged, which, uh, her parents really, well, your father was sort of okay about it, your mother was appalled. Didn't she tell you the day of the wedding, Laura's mother says, it's not too late to call it off. <laughs> we were just right, right before the wedding. And, um, you know, so it was, it was not good, she didn't like me, but I was the ideal son-in-law. We did get married, and, and I just, no matter what she said, I just kept loving her. Outside, inside, I hated her. But I just always brought her flowers, and I was always kind to her. And, and, and you know, I, I even went back to accounting for them. And one day she was on the phone with Lauren, she said, you know, your husband is a dilettante. And I said, I think that's a very bad word. I didn't like it. And she was never really very nice to me. And like a year after our marriage, her sister gets married, and her sister marries an architect. And I was sure her mother was going to hate him. No, but she, she loved him. And I was a Jew. And he wasn't even Jewish. And well, well, I was too Jewish. Can you believe she thought I was too... Do I seem too Jewish? Uh, like, anyway, so we're at dinner one night. About, we're married about a year. And we're at dinner at this very fancy Italian restaurant, Biche, at the time was the restaurant in New York, because you're going back. And... The whole family is there, right? Leslie, Laura's sister, the brother-in-law, the other two brothers, this one's Harvard, Columbia Medical School, and Yale. I went to Miami Dade Community College. But I did, I was top of my class. And anyway, so everybody like in that family, Exeter, and you know, and in my, but I, anyway, but I did, go to FIU afterwards. And as a matter of fact, your father said, what did you do to get into FIU? And I said, not much, I just walked in. And he didn't like that either. <laughs> so anyway, um, we're at dinner, and Laura's mother's talking to my brother-in-law. Well, they were married, like my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law were married for like a month. And we had been married for like a year. And my mother-in-law's talking to my brother-in-law, and no one's talking to me, which is fine, because I'm sort of used to it already. I talk to myself, and my wife is at the other side of the table. She's loving me, though. I can feel it across the table. Weren't you? Yes. And, and they're talking about design, because he's an architect. And I say, oh, I know about design, or whatever I say. I try to jump into the conversation, and her mother says, Nobody's talking to you. So, this CPA, man, I was like, in that moment, you know, that moment in life, I said, I've had it. And I stood up in, in Beach A, it was crowded, and I said, I am a human being, I have feelings, you don't get to talk to me like that anymore. And I just couldn't believe it, but I did it. I did it and I stormed out of the restaurant. Very, very scared. But I stormed out of the restaurant, and when I turned around, Laura was right behind me. I know. I, I said, honey, go back. We're going to be written out of the will. 
We don't both have to do this. They like you. No, it's not true. She followed me, right? And, and I mean, it was unbelievable. And her father came running after us. And he said, oh, come back, come back, right? So I'm like, what? Come back, come back. I don't know, maybe. But we, we did go back. He talked to us and he said, listen, you know, I understand it's difficult, and I remember how it was for me when I was first married. I'm like, really? If you remember how it was for you, then why are you treating me like this? <laughs> so we go back to the table, and no one's talking. Laura's mother clearly isn't talking to me at all. But you know what? Whatever, because she doesn't talk to me anyway. And my brother-in-law actually told me a few years later that I was his hero. You know, you could see people were like, like looking up to me that I did this to Dr. Doctor. No one talked to Dr. Doctor like that. And, you know, as the years went by, she, she never was really crazy about me, really, and, and, and I bothered her, and then when we started having babies, she was, felt that I was, you know, infringing on her daughter's well-being, and when, when we had the triplets, remember? Whoa, she was so pissed at me. I didn't do it on purpose. Jesus. I remember when she came to the hospital, she brought you a present and nothing for me. Anyway, so, but, but, one night, we're walking down the, I think it was 2nd Avenue, and we're coming from probably the Palm or something, because that's, that's, they just, all these people just all ate a steak. And, uh, and, Laura's brother, gotta get this if you think I was bad, Laura's brother's engaged, not that I think there's anything wrong with this, so you wanna know, not, not that I do, but he, he, Laura's brother, Mr. Doctor, he's a doctor too, so he's also Dr. Doctor, he just finished Columbia Medical School, he's engaged to a stewardess, <laughs> which is totally fine, but Laura's mother is appalled, and Laura's mother pulls me aside, and she, she takes my arm, and she says, you know, I really can't stand that woman my son is engaged to. Don't you think so? Isn't she horrible? What do you think? And at that moment, you know, it's one of those moments in life you could say, you know what? You were nasty to me. Now you're going to be nasty to her. Who are you? What do you think? What do you think you're doing? You're a terrible person. But what do I do? I say, I know she's horrible. <laughs> but I know... I made a decision in that moment, and I, I, I live with it. But you know what? It worked. She liked me after that, and we were friends, and so I sold out. Big fucking deal. Haven't you sold out once or twice in your life? And yes, that is, um, that is what happened, and, and it really, it really changed our relationship. But I just really want to say the important part of this is that I am married to the most fabulous woman in the world. Thank you very much. That was Josh Blau. Now, Josh can be found at joshblau.com. It is his CPA website, of course. I love that he talks about Fanny Feldenkrais in his story. I have to say, our people have some pretty awesome names. I mean, Gelfenbein, not too shabby. Although, I will say that in high school, this guy who I had a huge crush on used to call me Frankenstein. So it, it, it can backfire. 
But um, but regardless, Josh's story is so funny. You can see why Auntie loves him so much and his wife. Speaking of Auntie, we've got a new video of her talking about Yiddish words that I know you are going to love. You can find it on our website, yumstheworldshow.com slash auntie, and you will get to see her punum. Look it up. Our next show is in true Jewish fashion, keeping up with the high holy days, is the day after Yom Kippur. We're calling it Yom's the Word, and we're going to have a night of Jewish storytellers. I'm so excited for our next show. We've got Peter Gross, who you may have heard on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or seen on Veep. We've got Josh Gondelman, who is this tremendous writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And we've got a couple of other great storytellers. And that is Thursday, September 24th at 7.30 at Le Poisson Rouge. Tickets are available at yumsthewordshow.com. And I hope that you can join us for stories, Mad Libs. We're going to do a little Ask a Jew segment to test your Yiddish knowledge. And, of course, you can enjoy one of my homemade ice cream cakes. Maybe I'll make one with apples and honey. I mean, that's what we eat at this time of year to express our hope for a sweet new year. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The podcast is produced by me, Robin Gelfenbein, and Alex Fulton. Hi! Special thanks to Vince Fairchild, Megan Deneen, Michael Cedar, Danny Artis, and of course, Auntie. The theme song is by Mark Radcliffe. Now before I bid you shalom, I want to wish all of our Jewish friends a very happy new year to you and yours. Thanks for listening. I'm Robin Gelfenbein, and until next time... Underpants.